We're on this series talking about Jesus and rediscovering him through the Gospels. One of the things I want to encourage you guys to do as you're going through this sermon series is don't just come on Sundays and try and listen to a sermon or go to small group and go through the study. What I want to encourage you guys to do is um, spend some time just reading through the Gospels, the Gospels being Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and just read it over and over and over again. And as you read it, pray that God would reveal things uh, and that you would read Scripture and the insight would come alive that you may not have seen before. That's the best way to go about this, you guys. Put aside the commentaries and the study guides. Those are good. But just read the Bible and allow God to speak. This sermon series, by the way, I just want you guys to know, it's not just an intellectual exercise for me. This is very personal. It's personal in a number of ways, but one of the ways it's very personal is um, uh, I have two siblings, a younger sister and a younger brother. And my youngest brother, who's uh, three years younger than I am, he lives out in California. He's a teacher out there. Been a Christian all of his life, but uh, about, about a year and a half, maybe two years ago, decided that he wasn't a Christian, didn't want to be a Christian. And just kind of, you know, walked away from the church and uh, really not involved, and so on and so forth. I know that he still reads the Bible once in a while. And so he was uh, in Chicago for Christmas, and we got a chance to talk, and just talk and converse and share. And I asked him, good conversation, I said, so what's the deal? Tim, what's the deal? I said, why, why, what is it about Christianity or the Christian faith that, you know, and, 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 and sum it up. I don't have a lot of time. To, I sum it up. This is what he said. Essentially, These weren't his words, but essentially he said, I don't know if I'm necessarily walking away from God, but I know for a fact that I'm walking away from religion. And the way he said that is, you know, I'm tired of the do's and don'ts. I'm like tired of failing as a Christian. I'm tired of failing. I'm tired of not meeting up. I'm tired of so on and so forth. I'm tired of going to church and being guilty. I'm tired. I'm just tired. And so we got a chance to talk about that. And at the end of the conversation, because my brother is kind of hot-tempered and hot-headed like me, I-, I said to him, I said, let me ask you something. What do you think about Jesus? What do you mean? I said, well, what do you think about Jesus, though? Because if you take Jesus out, there's no Christianity. If there's wrong view of Jesus, wrong view of Christianity. I don't want to, I, I, we could talk forever about philosophical, but what do you think about Jesus? Because to me, he is the essence of Christian faith. And that's the question I'm posing to you. That's the question I'm posing to us. What do you think about Jesus? People ask me, Peter, don't Muslims, Jews, Christians, don't they worship the same God? I say, you know, we can maybe argue philosophically that supposedly we worship the same God, but I don't think we worship the same God. Why? Bible says that God's clear self-expression of himself is Jesus. What do you think about Jesus? If we agree on who Jesus is, then yes, we worship the same God. If we don't, we don't worship the same God. What do you think about Jesus? Turn your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 2. Like I said, we don't have a lot of time, so I need to plow right through uh, today. Mark chapter 2, we're staying in the book of Mark. 
Let's go ahead and read this passage. I'll make some notes and then uh, we'll dig in here. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to them, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Uh, Who are the Pharisees? Class, we're Sunday school. Pharisees. Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. They were uh, literally uh, the separated ones, so on and so forth. But here's what you might not know about Pharisees. They weren't the elite religious class. They were actually middle class average shows. They weren't the priestly class. That's why the New Testament defines the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. The Pharisees were average middle class people. Consider themselves, though, sort of guardians of the law, the the Torah, the law of Moses. And here's the thing that distinguished the Pharisees uh, from, from other groups. They not only held to the law of Moses, the Torah, but they also held to what was called the oral tradition. These were a number of laws on top of the laws that God gave Moses that defined what it meant to be the people of God. And Sabbath keeping was one of these laws that they kept. Now here's the thing. There were many oral traditions that sort of defined what the, what the Sabbath keeping was. This is the reason why, by the way, Jesus says in the New Testament, you have heard that it was said, but it is written. And what he's referring to is these oral traditions that these religious leaders, the Pharisees, if you will, came up with. And... Uh, in this wonderful book called Jesus in Context, Background Reading for Gospel Study, uh, I'm going through this as I'm studying this, uh, I, I found, uh, did a little research, and I actually found one of these oral traditions that the Pharisees held to about what it meant to keep the Sabbath holy. This is going to crack you up. These are oral traditions they believe. Listen to this. This comes from the Mishnah, a passage from the Mishnah. The generative categories of acts of labor prohibited on the Sabbath are 40 less one. That's basically saying there are 39 things you can't do. I don't know why they make it complicated, you know? Why can't they just say, here are 39 things you can't do? These are the generative categories. 40 less one. Okay. And this is what it said. What you cannot do, right? You can't sow. You can't plow. You can't reap. Bind sheaves, threshes, winnow, selects. Fit from unfit produce or crops. That means that you can't select fit crops, but you can't unfit crops, okay? Number eight, in case you're keeping count, grinds, sifts, kneads, bakes. Number 12, he who shears wool, washes it, beats it, dyes it, spins it, weaves it. 18, makes two loops, weaves two threads, separates two threads. Number 21, ties, unties. Sows two stitches. Tears in order to sew two stitches. This is what they held to. That's only number 24. 25. He who chops a deer, slaughters it. 27. 20, 27. Flays it. Salts it. Curds its hide. Scrapes it. And cuts it up. 32. He who writes two letters. Erases two letters in order to write two letters. Number 33. 34. He who builds. 35. Tears down. 36. He who puts out a fire. 37. Kindles a fire. 38. He who hits with the hammer. 39. He who transports an object from one domain to another. Lo, these are the 40 generative acts of labor less than one. That's how they find Sabbath keeping. You did any of these things? You broke the law.
You know why this is important? This is important because when you have rules without the context of a relationship, it becomes a burden. When you have rules without the context, listen, the Ten Commandments were given in Exodus. And guess what the first verse is before the Ten Commandments are given? I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt. Not do these things. So here are the Pharisees obeying these hundreds and hundreds of rules. Hundreds and hundreds of rules. So that's why they said, hey, your disciples are breaking the law. What law? The oral traditions of man from the Mishnah. Keep going. Verse 25. He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of Sabbath. By the way, this has nothing to do with whether you can go to a restaurant and eat on a Sunday morning, or whether you can spend money on Sundays. I don't know, how, we, how did we get there? How did we get there? Go in churches and say, you can't spend money on Sundays because it's breaking the Sabbath. Mark 3, 1. Another time he went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Then Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to them, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then, then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians on how they might kill Jesus. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians on how they might kill Jesus. There's a lot of important teaching here, but one of the first things that I want you to see right off the bat is the last verse. Then the Herodians and the Pharisees. By the way, there weren't two more unlikely people, and I'll get to that. Pharisees and Herodians are the two least likely groups of people to get together. and talk about that in a moment. But they get together, want to kill Jesus. I want you to see that that's how people respond to Jesus in the Gospels. So there's two premises here when we talk about Jesus. Number one, my opinions, your opinions, our opinions about Jesus really doesn't matter. Okay? We need to go back to the Bible and look really, really hard at what Jesus said about himself, what other people who knew him said about Jesus. We need to sort of uh, do away with our opinions, what we grew up with, you know, uh, and what we were taught, so on and so forth. What we want to see, what we're afraid to see, we need to be able to put aside our opinions. Can we do that? Can we do that? Okay? And look really hard, really hard and carefully at what Jesus says. Second premise under is this. That is that when you see, when you see and hear the real Jesus, when you encounter the real Jesus, you will react the way that the people in the Bible reacted. How did they react to Jesus? Then they wanted to kill him. How did the people react to Jesus in the Bible? They were not off dead center. I said this last Sunday, right? 
They were knocked off that center. Whoever encountered Jesus, there was no such thing as encountering Jesus going, that's very interesting. When they encountered Jesus and heard what he said, they got riled up. They got fired up. They were intimidated. They were threatened. They got angry. They got upset. They were drawn. They were attracted. This lame response that we have and we read the Gospels is foreign to Scripture. Yeah, that's nice. Oh, that's pretty good. It's foreign to Scripture. People today generally admire Jesus, right? They're in the deadly spiritual middle. They think he was a good teacher, said some nice things. Maybe he was a prophet, you know, who has some... Listen, can I just say this? If you believe that Jesus, if people say Jesus was a nice teacher who said some great things and just sort of went around saying, everybody, we should all get along and love each other, you're making a mockery out of history because why would you want to kill Mr. Rogers? Oh, dang. Why would you want to kill somebody that went around saying, everybody, peace, love one another as I have loved you? He didn't sing, but you know what I'm saying. He just went around and just, why? Why? Think about it. Think about it. You're making a mockery out of this. Why crucify and kill somebody who was so inoffensive, so nice, and so... Mm. Please, don't make a mockery out of history. Look at the Gospels and see how people encountered Jesus and the way they responded to him. They got fired up. How do you respond when you see Jesus? How do you respond when you read about Jesus? Are you intimidated? Are you threatened? Do you get upset? Do you get mad? Do you get angry? And at the same time, drawn. Who is this man? Why does he say that? What does this mean? This text and other passages in the Gospels say over and over again, to know Jesus is, why he's the way he is, what he's about, you need to come to grips with his offensiveness. Everybody say offensiveness. You need to come to grips with his offensiveness. Jesus says flat out in Matthew chapter 11, the people that are truly blessed, the people that are truly blessed are the ones who are offended by what Jesus says, or who see his offensiveness, but don't actually take offense. Jesus says, if you really hear what I'm saying, you will see that my claims will be offensive to your sensibilities. If you see my demands, it will be offensive to your sensibilities. And your worldview, and what you think about the world, your life, it will. It will. The accounts of Jesus tell us, can I just say this? The accounts of Jesus says that pimps and the prostitutes are closer to Jesus than the religious folks. Do you know why? The pimps and the prostitutes are encountering Jesus and they're getting fired up. Why? They're saying, say, I know I'm a sinner, but who are you to call me a sinner? They're seeing the challenge of Jesus that says, lay it all down for me. They're going, lay it all down for who? Who do you think you are? When was the last time you read the Gospels and just said, that's how you and I would respond if you really heard Jesus. If you really heard Jesus. Because of what Jesus claims here. And another thing we're going to see, and I'll show you in a little bit, I've been talking about this, there's going to be this sort of dual responses to Jesus You know, on one hand, what Jesus says, if you really encounter him, you're going to be strangely drawn to him because there's beauty, there's truth, there's there's light. 
But on the other hand, you're going to want to get away from it as far as possible and say, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. You'll feel both the desire to get as close to him as possible, at the same time get away far as from as possible. You'll, you'll experience all these. Do you know why I'm going on and on and on? This is just self-check, evaluate. Do you know this real Jesus? Because if you do, if you're seeing him, you'll feel threatened. You'll feel intimidation. You'll be mad. You'll be upset at the same time going, I need you though. I'm drawn to you. There's beauty about you. There's truth about you. And there's this tension in your heart encountering the real Jesus. Look, let me just brief, brief survey through the Gospels. Okay, let, me, let me just show you how basic this response is. Not just here in, Ma- in Mark chapter 2. Uh, Mark chapter, you don't have to turn your Bibles. I'll just, I'll just put a couple verses up there. Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 5, we see this, this fantastic, not, we see this incredible account of a man who is, who is demon-possessed, and, and it's, this, it's, it's a movie right out of Hollywood, horror movie right out of Hollywood. They chain him. He breaks off the chains. He's running around in tombs and cemetery. People are freaking out. Jesus shows up. The demons recognize Jesus, and they say, please, please, son of God. And, and Jesus says what? Jesus says, get out of, them, get out of him, and, and he sends the, the spirits into a herd of pigs, about 2,000 of them, the Bible says. And the herd of pigs go rushing down the steep bank and they drown. The word gets around townspeople. And look what happens. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Now, in case you're thinking, people told them to leave the region because they're like, there goes our living. What are we going to do now? How are we going to eat? How we gonna... That's not why they left. They're, they're asking Jesus to leave for the same reason that the disciples who were in the boat were scared in the storm but terrified after. They're saying, who is this? Who is this otherworldly person that I've asked into my life? Who is this enormous person, otherworldly person I've asked into my life? I thought I wanted a teacher. I thought I wanted a personal assistant. I thought I wanted a helper, you know, somebody to kind of, I thought I wanted somebody to just help me when they, who is this I've gotten into my life? Who is this that commands the seas to shut up and stay shut up and it obeys? People are saying, I want a little salvation, but not this much. I want a little help, a little pick-me-up. By the way, that's very popular in Christian circles today. Self-esteem, self-worth, self-help here. Jesus is there to make your life better, to give you that extra uh, thing that you need. Do you know what Jesus came saying? Do you know what he claimed? Do you know what he demanded? Do you know, we should be on very familiar emotional terrain right now. Do you know why? Because this is why some of you are struggling. I didn't sign up for this. I didn't agree to this. The youth counselor should have explained what the heck I was doing when I was nine years old and I bowed my knees at that youth camp and accepted Jesus into my life. Don't blame your youth leader. It's not his fault. 
we are in very familiar emotional terrain because we are some of you right now want to just chuck the whole Christian thing. Why? Because Jesus is huge. He's enormous. He's big. He's God. And he's saying, I demand all of you. You're going, I don't want to. Then at least you're hearing what he's saying. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a famous preacher, Jones, a preacher in England in the 1950s, preached a sermon at Genesis 32, Jacob wrestling with God. And he had this famous line in the sermon. He said, you will know that you have met God when you limp as a result. You will know that you have encountered the true God when as a result you limp. That's what it feels like when your life is being wrecked because you're no longer your God. We sang it this morning. What do you think you're saying when you're saying brokenness, brokenness? You're saying, God, I want to encounter the real God so that I can walk away limping. Humbled. Broken. If you're not a Christian, you came today, I'm so glad you're here. Because this is what Jesus demands. And I'm not going to apologize for it because the Bible doesn't apologize for it. Amen? Do you know this Jesus? My wife's a doctor, so I'm getting familiar with medical things. And I realize for many of us, Jesus in our lives is like a flu shot. We want to be vaccinated with Jesus just enough not to get the real thing. <laughs> do you want to be vaccinated with Jesus, Christians, or do you want the real thing? Hmm? What does this mean? I'll tell you what it means. As we continue. Uh, one more, one more. Mark chapter 6, verse 3. Uh, Jesus preaches a sermon. Just one other, real quick. Seeing this, this juxtaposition in the responses. Jesus preaches a sermon. Look at, look, this is incredible wisdom, but look at what they say. Look at what they say. They're not disagree- disagreement of what he's saying. They're amazed at his teaching. But in verse 3 he says, Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? And isn't this brother James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took, what does your Bible say? Offense at him. How do you know you're not in the deadly spiritual middle and that you have encountered the real Jesus? I will tell you right now. How do you know? How do you and I know if we're encountering the real Jesus and we're not in this deadly spiritual middle? You and I will respond the way that the people in the Bible actually responded. They will feel on one hand incredible offense to say, who are you to say that to me? You demand what? And on the other hand, there will be this deep attraction saying, but you're God, you speak truth, you're light. It's a compliment in the world. I said this last week, right? To say to somebody, he doesn't have any enemy in the world. He's got no enemies in the world. That was never true of Jesus. Jesus had lots of enemies. And you know who they were? They were people who actually took time to look at him. Dared to become an enemy of Christ. That might be the only way that you'll become his friend. Are you looking? Or are you content with this middle ground 
religiously safe, sanitary, vaccinated version of Jesus. I've got enough of him, thank you very much. He's there when I need him. Or is he the one that says, shut up to the seas and they obey? Wrestle with him. Church, Christians or not, wrestle with him. Will you wrestle with him? The God that I know and the Jesus that I love and serve welcomes your wrestling, welcomes you being upset, welcomes you being mad. What he doesn't want is somebody to go, I've got enough. Okay, let's look at this careful passage passage carefully. Let's see who and why they were offended. The Pharisees, the Pharisees and the Herodians, right? Does anybody know who the Herodians were? Sunday school class, Sunday, Herodians. We know what the Pharisees are. Who are the Herodians? Shout it out. Bible scholars out there, come on. Huh? They wanted to follow Herod. Yes. That's why they're called Herodians, you know, Herodians. Thank you very much. That's exactly right, though. They were the people that wanted to follow Herod. And so all you need to know about the Herodians is who was Herod, right? Herod was the king of that little region, basically a Roman puppet, okay? Herod Antipas actually was his name. And what you need to know about Herod Antipas is that his life reads and shows like the Jerry Springer show. I'm serious. I said this before. Do you know who Herod Antipas was? He steals his brother Philip's wife and marries her. Okay? He steals his brother's wife, nice, right? And marries her. Okay? You can just see it on the Jerry Springer show, right? There's Herod Antipas, there's Philip, right? And they're sitting there going, he stole my wife. She won you. Anyway, so that's what's going on. Herod Antipas. But here's the other thing that made him famous. He's the guy that had John the Baptist beheaded. Who are the Herodians? Herodians were the ultimate in secular, irreligious. They were politically in power. That's who the Herodians were. Now, here's the interesting thing. I found this passage in Mark chapter 6, verse 20. Okay? Remember this whole revulsion attraction thing? Listen to what Herod, oh, this is so cool. Okay? So Herod, right? Herod, right? He marries his brother Philip's wife, right? His wife, Herodias, is even more wicked and more evil than Herod. And she can't stand John. She can't stand John. Because John is the one confronting him. John is actually a preacher saying, that is not right. And she can't stand him. And she's looking for a way to kill him. But she knows that Herod respects him. And this is Herod's response to John. I found this fascinating. Verse 20, Mark chapter 6, verse 20. It says, when Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled. And yet he liked to listen to him. (laughs) How's that? Even better, here's the message version. Eugene Peterson, message version, right, of that same passage. Look what it says. It says, Herodias, uh, Herod's wife, smoldering with hate, wanted to kill him, but didn't dare because Herod was in awe of John. Speaking truth. Convinced that he was a holy man, Herod gave him special treatment. And listen to this. Whenever Herod listened to John, he was miserable with guilt, and yet he couldn't stay away. Is that awesome? Something in John kept pulling him back. So this is Herod. Every time John the Baptist gets up there and he's speaking truth, he's just, oh! And then yet he's saying, I'm hearing truth. Give me more. I can't stand you! Give me more. He is hearing Jesus. 
He is hearing Jesus. Why were the Herodians offended? Can I just bring this down practically? Herodians are offended for the same reason that some of you are offended today when people talk about Christianity and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The two ways in which the human heart tries to find salvation, I'm going to spend the rest of this morning talking about that. Two ways in which the human heart tries to find salvation is one through religion, which I'll talk about in a moment, but also through irreligion. Let me listen very carefully. When I talk about an irreligious person, I'm not talking about somebody who has no moral values and moral blah, blah. When I say irreligious and finding salvation through irreligion, at the heart of an irreligious person is there is no God but me. I'm the center of the universe. I run the ship in my life. I'm the captain of the ship. I'm at the center of the universe, including earth and everything orbits around me. That's at the heart of an irreligious person. All the other stuff is just behavior. Irreligion says, I find salvation in myself. What did Jesus come preaching? What did Jesus come preaching? And why were the Herodians offended? Did Jesus come preaching, obey my teaching, follow my example? Did Jesus come preaching, do as I do? You know what Jesus came preaching? Did you hear his words? The Son of Man is Lord even of Sabbath. To which we go, okay. The Son of Man is Lord even of Sabbath. What was Sabbath? Sabbath was a commandment that God gives to the Israelites to say, obey it. One of the ten laws. And Jesus says, Son of Man is Lord even of Sabbath. He's saying, I have authority even over that day that God instituted. And logically, who is the only person that would have authority over the person who instituted the day for you to command? Is God himself. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm God. Why is that important? Because if he's God, it changes everything. If he's God, he can demand anything from you. If he's God, a relationship with him is limitless in commitment. If he's God, then relationship with him is all-encompassing. If he's really God, you can't go to him and say, this but not that. This area but not that. I like that, but I don't like that. I agree to that, but I... If he's really God, it changes everything. Jesus didn't come preaching and teaching, obey, do as I do, here's some good things. Jesus said, I am ultimate reality. You know what it's like to follow me? Give up everything that you have and then follow me. Do you know what it's like to follow me? Your love for me has to be so great that your love for other people would pale in comparison that it would seem like you're hating them. You want to know what it means to follow me? Nothing is worth losing me for. Pluck your eyes out. That's what it means to follow me. Cut off your hand. If anything gets in the way, get rid of it. That's what it means to follow me. To which people in his day said, that's offensive. We hear that and we go, that's interesting. That's interesting. If he's God, he can ask you for anything. And we don't like that. We don't like that. That's why we prefer to be vaccinated with him. The real thing, frankly, is scary. But you know what Jesus says? He says, I've overcome the world. Everything belongs to me. Everything bows down to me. And this God that is this big, do you know what he did for you? He said, I became a man, took on flesh and bone, and I went to the cross, lived the life that you lived, and died the death that you should have died. I sacrificed my life for you, not to... Say, here's an example you should follow. He didn't come saying, here's the way to be righteous. He said, I am your righteousness. 
He didn't come and say, let me be your helper to help you reach your new goals. He said, I want to be your goal. He didn't come and say, I want to show you the way. He came saying, I am the way. He didn't come and say, do as I do. He came saying, you have nothing that you could offer. Believe it by faith, the grace. If you're not a Christian today, or even if you are a Christian, at the heart of your religion, the reason why we find the Christian claims offensive is because, well, let me use this analogy. If, if, if you came up today and I had a conversation with you, right? And I said to you, I, 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 have, a, I have a gift for you. He said, yeah, sure, what is it? And I handed you a book, and the title of the book is How to Make Friends and Carry On Conversation. <laughs> You'd be offended. <laughs> I'd be like, what the is this why some gifts require that you admit necessity of need before you can accept it there's never been a cross a gift like the cross ever because the cross comes and says jesus didn't come in strength and said here's an example look what i did so now do as i do jesus came in weakness and said you have nothing in you to be able to do what i do so i did it for you but here's the thing in order for you to accept that in order for you to receive that you got to admit that you have a need I know it's not cool these days to call uh, people sinners. It's not uh, uh, cool to call people morally bankrupt. It's not cool to call people lost in their heart and soul, so on and so forth. But those are biblical words that Jesus uses to say, if you are not willing to acknowledge that you are a, a sinner, if you are not willing to acknowledge that you are morally bankrupt and you have no good within yourself to save yourself, if you cannot come to the point of saying nothing but grace will do, Jesus says the cross will not ever make sense. Jonah 2.9, salvation is of the Lord. Can I just speak to uh, those of you that are here, you're not a Christian? Um, today at the end of this service, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do something that will be one of the most difficult, if not the hardest thing you've ever had to do. The first step towards becoming a follower of Jesus, the Bible says, is the willingness to acknowledge this need and saying, I am lost. I don't have what it takes to live right before God. It's your willingness to acknowledge, like, I can't even just not do what, what the Bible says, but I can't even do what I expect other people to do. I'm in need. I'm in need. Step one. But the Bible says if you're willing to do that, the Son of God who died on your behalf, lived the life that you should have died, the death that you should have died, will embrace you, accept you, welcome you, love on you. And you know, here's the, here's the thing. Do you ever think about this? What kind of love will change you? What kind of love will transform you, you know? I don't know about you. Maybe just too philosophical for me, but I'm thinking if there's some God who says, I love everyone sort of in a general kind of way, I'm kind of a God who came giving some good suggestions about how to live a good life, be a better person, and that God says, I love you. That doesn't mean a whole lot to me. But when a God says, I died for you, I gave my life for you, I gave all for you, when that God says, I love you, I walk away going, who loves me like that? What kind of a love will transform you, will transform me? A God who sort of loves everybody in a general way, or a God who came saying, I did that for you? Why are the Pharisees offended? Why would they be offended? Shouldn't they have applauded? Why are they upset with the gospel? And at this point, listen, at this point, I'm venturing on very, very delicate territory. Listen. 
Because you guys, if I have a thesis, I, my thesis is the majority of us in here, we're Christians, we're followers of Jesus, but functionally, we function from religion. The way our, our lives are daily lived lives from this attitude and perspective of religion. And the daily aspect or our attitude and mentality in which religion functions out of is, is I do the right things, I obey God, I follow the rules, and so God owes me. The universal heart of religion says, I do the right thing, I obey the laws, I, I do the commandments, and therefore God owes me. At the heart of religion is that principle. And in case you're sitting there going, I'm not religious, I'm, I'm a Christian. Uh, has this thought ever crossed your mind? Has this thought ever, even for once, crossed your mind? A thought that says, you know, I lived a pretty good life. I've kept my nose clean, I've kept out of trouble, but my life stinks. Where's the justice in that? How's that fair? How's that fair, God? Will you give me two minutes? Because I've hinted at this many a times. But I want to just flesh it out today and just literally put it up there. These are statements that distinguish religion from the gospel. And as we go through these things, I need you to honestly ask yourself, honestly evaluate, and ask the deep part questions of, am I a Christian that functions from the heart of religion? Or am I a Christian that has been captured and totally changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ? You ready? Here we go. I want to go through these with you guys. Religion. And some of these are basic elementary, so for those of you that are beyond the basic elementary things, Please be patient with us. Religion says that you should trust in what you do as a good moral person. The gospel says that you should trust in the perfectly sinless life of Jesus because he alone is the only good and truly moral person who will ever live. Religion says that the world is filled with good people and bad people. How many of you guys approach the world that way? Can we just be honest? We have mental categories in our mind. Good, bad, good, bad, good, bad, good, bad. Whatever the categories are. And that's heart of religion. The gospel says that we're all bad. Can I say that? We're all sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God, who are either repentant or unrepentant. Do you know why this is important? Because if your category from religion is good people, bad people, you'll be judgmental. You'll be condemning. You won't be gracious. Religion says that if we obey God, he will love us. The gospel says that it is because God has loved us through Jesus that we can obey. Everybody, will you say that with me? Religion says that if we obey God, he will love us. The gospel says that it is because God has loved us through Jesus that we can obey. Do you know why I never get up here on Sundays and go, you have to do that because the Bible says so. You have to do that because it's against Christian principles. Or you do you know why those things are true? But the book of Titus tells us that those things don't actually transform and change our hearts. They don't. And you know it, and I know it. We know those two things. Why do not? The motivation of gospel has to be this. I'm going to obey, not because I'm afraid that he will abandon me if I don't, but it's because at an inestimable cost, God has declared once and for all, I will never, ever abandon you. I will never, ever abandon you. I will never, ever abandon you. That's why we obey. That's why we obey. No matter what you do, the Bible says, God will never abandon you. And when that settles in your... Listen. 
my sickness must be getting to my head because I don't know why I'm shouting. I'll tell you why I'm shouting. I'll tell you why I'm shouting. Partly because I'm, t- I'm t- like really like weak and I need to, but here's the other reason why I'm shouting. My heart is broken every Sunday when I see Christians walk in here just totally defeated. I don't even have to know you. I, you did something last night and you're afraid. You're insecure. Right now, even as I speak right now, Right now, if it was God, I'd go, you, 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 you look like, I don't know, but you look like you're just under huge, enormous condemnation and guilt. You just feel worthless and lack of value. And the reality is, you don't need some preacher to go, you got to do the right thing. The Bible says and blah, 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 because you know it. What will transform? You know what the Bible says? It's when you realize no matter what you do last night, no matter what you plan to do, God will never, ever abandon you. And when that truth grabs a hold of your heart, you don't obey because you're scared. You obey because you say to yourself, who can love me like that? A couple more. The goal of religion is to get from God such things as health, wealth, insight, power, and control. The goal of the gospel is not the gifts God gives, but rather God himself as the gift given to us by grace. Religion leads us to an uncertainty about my standing before God because I never know if I've done enough to please God. There's constant insecurity, but the gospel gives a certainty about my standing before God because of the finished work of Jesus on my behalf on the cross. Religion leads either in pride because I think I'm better than other people or despair because I'm constantly falling short of God's commands. Grace results, gospel results in humble and confident joy because of the power of Jesus at work for me, in me, through me, and sometimes in spite of me. Do you know, if you're sitting there going, I get the gospel, you don't. But if you're sitting there going, I don't think I understand that you're beginning to get it. Because of time, let me just, uh, woo, there's lots more to talk about, but I just need to wrap it up here, okay? Do you know why we prefer religion over the gospel? Do you know why the Pharisees preferred religion over the gospel? Because if you're religious and you keep the rules, you have a claim on God. If you're religious and you keep the rules, you can say to God, look at all that I do for you. Don't ask me for that. Look at all the things I've done for you. You can't take that away. And Jesus comes and demolishes that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. Why pick on Sabbath? Because Sabbath was the thing that the Pharisees looked at and said, because we are obeying this, we earn the right, God, to be standing with you. And Jesus Christ comes along and says, Sabbath was created. Listen, what is Sabbath? I get real deep theologically. Here's a plain thing. What is Sabbath? Sabbath is something that God gives to us as a gift. You can't earn it. but I'm going to work six days and I'm going to earn me some Sabbath. You can't. You can't. What is Sabbath? What is Sabbath? Sabbath is rest and gift that what? God gives to, you, to us. That's what Sabbath is. And Jesus uses it to turn the worldview entirely. Listen, let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. If you are saved by grace and grace alone, then that means that Jesus Christ can demand anything of you. 
and there's nothing that he can't ask from you. That's why deep in our hearts we go, religion, I want to do, because it's our way of saying hands off, hands off, hands off. It's the major distortion of sin in our lives that says, I get to do two things if I'm religious. I get to keep control of my life and live the way I want. But if that message really is true, I surrender all. Do you know why I'm also on a personal mission to just get rid of religion in my own life? in the life of the church because religion hurts people following rules think about it why are the why why is jesus so mad at the pharisees because here's what rules and religion does rules and religion basically says there's a person in need he's sick but you know what it's against my rules to touch that person reach out to that person so too bad you know how you and i do that We see somebody who's in sin. We see somebody who doesn't know Jesus and is out there. And we use religion to say, well, if I do that, I'm going to be defiled. So you be lost. I'm over here. That's how we use rules to hurt people. You know how we use to hurt people? And the way the Pharisees used the rules to hurt people? We see somebody, a brother or sister in Christ, who is lost in sin, has fallen away. You know what our attitude is? I told you not to go there. You got to learn your lesson. Until you learn your lesson, I'm going to be right over here. So whenever you're done learning your lesson, you come. Do you know why we do that? You know how else we use religion to hurt people? At the end of it all, listen, if we are a new community going to be about radical justice and helping the poor, do you know what religion does? At the center of it, it's not about more information. At the center of religion is, I worked for it, I earned it. So when you see the poor, your attitude is what? Just pull yourself by the bootstraps. And your heart is cold and your heart is hard. If you want to be embracing justice and be a man and woman of God who cares about the poor, it's not about reading more information, hearing more sermons. Get in front of the cross and sit there long enough for your heart to be melted at the fact that he did that for you. So that when you look at the poor, you can say, what can I do? And you know what the worst thing is about? Let me just put it this way. About religion is three analogies. Religion You're that ill-taught piano student who could play all the right notes, but you failed to make music. You are that actor in a B-movie who recites all the lines well, da-da-da-da-da, but there's no conviction behind what you do. And last of all, religion, you are that dancer who carefully counts the steps, but you never cut loose just to dance. Just to dance. of counting your steps i gotta make sure don't you just want to cut loose and just dance for jesus don't you it begins with us saying i'm done with religion i'm done why do i talk about this so passionately every sunday listen because getting the gospel and And your heart is not just about becoming a Christian, but it's how we we live. Listen, listen. If you are sitting there today 
let me just be fair, fair. If you're sitting there today and you have no strength, no courage, no willingness even to look at that sin in your life, what you did last night, so on and so forth, because the reality is confession, repentance, looking at sin, looking at our brokenness, looking at it honestly is the first step towards restoration. But the reality is if you are completely insecure, if there's no security about who you are, how you stand in the light of your heavenly Father, there's no way that you'll be able to look at the sin in your life. And you're going to wear masks, You're going to put all these rules to say, I'll make sure I'm not going to do it next time. And you'll never experience transformation and change. You'll play the right notes, never make music, count the right steps, but never dance. There's no joy. And I talk about the gospel and your acceptance in Christ every Sunday. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, Bible says the reason why you messed around with that guy last night and did that thing, it's not because you're more wicked, blah, blah, blah. It's because even as a child of God, you're desperately yearning for the verdict, the acceptance, the love that your heavenly father says you already have. And you don't believe it. You don't believe it. The reason why you continue to run into that empty well, empty well, addictions and and stuff, it's not because you're this wicked moral. It's because deep in your heart is this yearning search every day of your life that says, I need verdict, validation in my life. And even though I'm a Christian, I don't really believe that he loves me like that. I don't really believe that he accepts me like that. I don't really believe that he treats me like that and I will talk about this until I'm blue in the face until this church starts emptying out because people don't want to hear it anymore because it's when you sit in front of the cross and you let the truth of the gospel that saved you that you're accepted and loved in him in Christ be at work in your life every day every day one last imagery until you get to a place where uh, what our parents said, what that person said, what that person did, boyfriend, girlfriend, right now in your life, what they said lies from the pit of hell is in your mind on high definition, mega resolution TV. You see it vividly, you hear it clearly. And what God says about you through the gospel is barely coming through on eight track cassette radio. I think I hear some faint. What? He accepts. He loves what? The cross. And until you're able to hear your heavenly Father say to you, even though you are more wicked and more sinful than you dared believe in Christ today, right now, you are more loved and more accepted than you dared hope. Than you dared This morning, I'm going to do two things. Number one, I'm wondering if there's anybody out there here today, we do this in our church, you're not a Christian. You've heard the message of Jesus Christ this morning. You're saying, Peter, I think I'm done with my life. I think I'm done living the way of my way, the way I want to, master captain of the ship of my own life. 
I'm done with that. I want to give my life to him as Lord and receive this truth, believe this truth that on the cross 2,000 years ago, Jesus died the death that I deserved so that I can today, right now, be accepted and received. That's good news. If there's anybody here today that wants to do that, we in our church invite you to come forward. I'm here. A group of people will be up here. And we do this because we believe that making confession to follow Christ is a public thing. It's a personal thing, but it's not a private thing. It's a public thing. Nothing to be ashamed of. Something that we welcome and encourage you to do. And we will walk this journey with you. Anybody? Stand up from where you are and come up. I'll be the first one up here to hug you and to embrace you. Anybody here this morning? Anybody here this morning? a Christian and you've sat through this morning's service I encourage you to continue to come back and hear the message of Jesus my second challenge goes out to you Christians followers of Jesus if you are somebody who has functioned from the standpoint of religion there's no joy no life And you want to desperately begin the journey of saying, God, I want to be done with that life, but I can't do it on my own. I can't do it on my own. I need you to be at work in my heart, in my will, in my mind, and in my strength. I don't want to just follow the steps. I want to dance, God. I don't want to just play the right notes. I want to make beautiful music. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask you to stand because we're going to pray together and I'm going to pray with you this morning, okay? I know it's humbling. I know that it's difficult. I know that it's admission, but this is the way we keep each other accountable. Stand from where you are. I'm not going to ask you to come up. Just stand from where you are. At the bottom of your heart, I'm done, God. I'm done. I'm tired of religion. I'm I'm worn. I'm weary. I'm tired. I'm sick and tired, God. I'm just about had it. And this day, this day, stand from where you are. Worship team, come on up. Come on up. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait a little bit longer. If you are sitting there this morning, if you are sitting there this morning, and this is the struggle of your heart, And you may not have articulated this way, but this is the struggle of your heart this morning. I need you to stand. For those of you that are standing near or sitting near these folks, I need you to lovingly look at who they are because this isn't about judgment, I'm better. This is about us saying, I am there with you. I'm there for you. I'm going to walk this journey with you. 
And if you're standing here this morning, will you do me a favor? If you're, if, if you're okay with this, put your hands out like this. Put your hands out like this. Physically put your hands out like this. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. This isn't a prayer of salvation. In your heart, pray it in the way that befits you. Pray this prayer and say, God, with my heart, with my will, with my mind, with my strength, with my entire being, help me to receive your gift of grace. Help me to receive your gift of grace. And whatever barriers, whatever blockage you have, lift that up unto the Lord. Lift that up unto the Lord and say, God, this is what's keeping me, God. This is what's hindering me, God. I lift it up to you. I lift it up to you. And in this very sacred, holy moment, with those of you that are sitting down, if you can, will you pray for your brothers that are sisters that are standing? Pray for them because this is not a work that we do. This is not a work that we could conjure up. It is to work with the Holy Spirit. that my brothers and sisters and myself, as we stand, we would be able to say, God, I receive. I receive just as I did when I initially gave my life to you. I receive your free grace. Your free grace. Receive, receive, receive. Receive, 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 rece
and the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, amen. Would you guys help out with the bake sale downstairs for the Columbia Missions team? Have a great week. We'll see you back here next Sunday, you guys. Take care.